My name is David. I'm serving as the acting senior pastor, and it's my privilege in connection with our Thanksgiving offering to introduce our guest preacher today, uh, Dr. Robert Hand. Uh, it's been a longtime friend of our, our site pastor in Fairfax, Rob Yancey, uh, and then uh, he has been a partner uh, with our church for the last few years when our missions committee was really looking for new opportunities to uh, engage in mercy in the Muslim world. And so we've been privileged to be able to work with their ministry over the last few years, and we're excited to hear him preach uh, from John 17 uh, this morning. Just to tell you a little bit about Dr. Ham, he uh, has served as a church planter and a missionary in the Evangelical Presbyterian Church uh, in Jordan, France, Lebanon, and New Orleans as well. And then since 2011, Robert has been the executive director of the Philemon Project, one of the recipients of our Thanksgiving offerings. And they offer the best Christian early childhood development program to underserved Syrian refugee, migrant, domestic worker, and under-resourced Lebanese children, as well as adult mentoring for uh, their parents. Robert and his wife, Joyce, have been married for 32 years. They have three grown children, and they worship and are members at Fourth Prez across the river. So let me pray, and then I'll turn it over to Dr. Ham this morning. Father, we thank you for another opportunity to dive into your word this morning. Thank you for Pastor Robert and for his preparation. Pray that you would speak through him to us your words this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Welcome. Thank you, Pastor. What a privilege for me to be here. And over the last 10 weeks, you've been taking a deep dive into John chapter 17. John 17 is a pivotal chapter. It links the farewell discourse with the passion. If we understand the farewell discourse, we dip back into John chapter 13, where we are here and see that Jesus washes the feet of the disciples. God himself stoops down and washes his disciples' feet, followed by the announcing of a betrayal. And then Jesus introduces the love commandment that you will love them as I loved you. Followed by that in John 14, we hear two of the great I am proclamations. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the true vine. And these I am statements are powerful because they dip back. They dip back to Exodus chapter 3 where Moses at the burning bush, he says, what am I to say to the Israelites? Who am I to say is sending me? And he says, tell them that God, I am sending you. Say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And then in John 16, Jesus closes with a profound statement. He says, in this world, you will have tribulations, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. (laughs) No wonder Jesus takes a whole chapter to pray, not only for his disciples, but for you and I, because indeed we certainly need to hear words of comfort and assurance in a world that is seemingly crumbling under our feet. If you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to turn to John chapter 17. To put it into context, I would like to read verses 1 through 11 and then center in on verse 18. If you have your devices, please open them and let's look at the scripture verse together. Listen carefully, church. This is the word of God. 
When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom you have given me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they believe that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All All are mine, and all are yours." And yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given to me, that they may be one, even as we are one. And dipping down to verse 18, Jesus says, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. This is the word of God. Let's pray. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you this morning, our Lord. John chapter 17 can be divided up into three different parts. Verses 1 through 8, Jesus prays for glorification as we just read, that he has completed the work that God has sent him to do. In verses 9 through 19, Jesus then prays whom the Father has given him. Because what Jesus is saying is that nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing. And then Jesus circles in back in verses 20 through 26, and he prays for those who will believe. Throughout these passages, there emerged something that comes out of the ground, a grounded theory that comes out, and the principle is love. The principle that God is love and God is on mission, seeking those who are on the outside because he loves them. And in case we've missed this in John's gospel, John, later on in his years as an older person, looking back, writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in one of his epistles, 1 John 4, he says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God but that God, that he loved us and sent his son for us, an atoning sacrifice. So how are we to understand God's love? How are we to understand God's love in a world that is fragmented and fractured? How do we see God's love, not only his love and his compassion for the whole world? 
Oftentimes we look out into the world and we sometimes see the world and we think we have a good, good understanding of it. But if I looked at you right now and I remove my glasses, I can't see you. In fact, what happens is you're all a bit blurry to me with your face masks. And I sometimes think I see the world the right way. But I see it like this. What John is inviting us to do is to take off these eyeglasses and allow the Holy Spirit to put God's eyeglasses on us so we begin to see the world as Christ sees the world, a world that is lost, broken, and desperate, and calls us and bids us to go into the world and act as his ambassadors, his ministers of mercy, his missionaries into the world. For John wants us to see afresh God's love. And in Christ, we see God's mission unfold. We get an idea of what it means to be called a church into the world. You see, God was willing to cross every boundary, every border, every brokenness, every sin, and death. Because he wants to say to us today in that prayer, nothing will separate you from my love. Nothing will separate you from my love. And John wants us to understand this point. Jesus performing miracles to show us that he's willing to go across boundaries and brokenness, sin and death, performs his first miracle at the wedding of Cana. That's outside of the scope of the Israelites. You shouldn't go there, Jesus, but he's there and he turns water into wine. Jesus heals the sons, the official son also in Cana outside the scope of the the people of Israel. And in John chapter 5, he heals a 38-year-old lame man at the pool. And get this, nobody would touch him to put him into the water when the waters was agitated so he would receive healing. He feeds the 5,000, he heals the blind man, and he raises Lazarus from the dead. That is the mission that Jesus is on. And that should be a pattern for us and a model for us that we're driven by love to go outside of the comforts and the zones that we find most comfortable and remind us that Jesus' life and ministry demonstrates God's love and commitment to the whole world. The world is indeed an inhospitable place because it is a fallen world. And no more a visual reminder is that on August 4th, 2020, 2,750 tons of ammonia nitrate, that's an equivalent to 1.1 kilotons of TNT stored in Warehouse 12 at the port of Beirut exploded causing 204 deaths, 6,500 injuries, and an estimated $15 billion in property damage. And the explosion leaves an estimated 300,000 people homeless. Our center was 1.5 miles away. And the result of this was the ruling elite saw their own economic interest. They stopped caring for the people, but they cared for their own political arrangements and the corruption that they enjoyed from those political arrangements. Azik, who works for us as an early development expert, says our house is completely gone. We gathered our clothes, our money, important papers as much as we can. 
My family will go to my brother's fiance. Please mention us in prayers. I don't know how we're going to overcome this. Jesus identifies himself with the lowly, the lost. No amount of human despair prevents him to come. He crosses those boundaries of human despair that can overwhelm us. Edward Freeman, the late Edward Freeman, clinical psychologist and Jewish rabbi, understood what happens when we face loss. We find ourselves wanting to replace loss. Some replace those loss with healthy replacements and others unhealthy. But what he understands is that we as human beings always want to find ourselves what he calls homeostasis. Homeo being human, stasis meaning fulcrum point. We want to find that balance in our life. And so we seek to get that balance back. Some of you today are feeling so unbalanced because of the pandemic. And I get that. But what Freeman was arguing is that sometimes we can wall ourselves off because things feel so overwhelming. And that happens with the church. We feel that life is so overwhelming that we can't do anything but just hunker down. But what Jesus is telling us in this is that Jesus is a God on missio, on mission. And that is a recurring theme because John mentions this over 60 times in his Gospels. And the verb really contains two components to it, an internal component and an external component. Internally, it applies a personal relationship, that personal relationship, namely that those who are sent are sent by somebody. And there's an external component in that word sent, that those who are sent are sent for a purpose. Your life has purpose. Your life has meaning. God is calling you for purpose in this world because you become salt and light to those around you. Because when we follow after Jesus, we proclaim that life-resurrected message that he is the ultimate healer. Oftentimes, we think of ourselves as missionaries, and you say to me, wow, that's amazing. You go over there, and that's great. Here, you go, I stay. That works just fine. But I'm with you on that. I often feel overwhelmed too when we were serving as we were serving in the Middle East. I want to tell you one story that shaped me and helped reef put my eyeglasses on. We run the early development center and we serve that very vulnerable community. And we noticed one mother, a Kurdish refugee who fled Syria because of the ISIS attacks. And we saw her baby crying unexplicably. And one of our staff members, who you saw in that video, Nairi, she said to her, what is the matter? What is happening in your life? And she said, my mother and father are deceased. I lost my family. My husband is in Turkey trying to get to Europe. I'm alone with my child. I live in one room with five other families. I am in great despair. Nairi says, let's go to pastor and pray. Pastor, I don't get it, but every time trouble happens, they say, let's go to pastor and pray. 
And I remember saying to Nairi, okay, we'll pray. And so we get into my office and Nairi begins to pray. She asks Yurina, what do you need? Yurina says, I need a job. I say in my heart to the Lord, she's not going to find one. She doesn't have a residency papers. She's not going to get work. She says, I need to find an apartment. I tell the Lord in my own heart, she's not going to find one. She's not going to have the money for this. And then she says, I want my husband to come back. And I say, he wants to go to Europe. He's not coming back. He doesn't have a residency paper. Nairi prays, and she prays, and she prays. Several weeks pass, and I see Irina. And as I'm walking by, she grabs my shirt, and she says, Pastor, I got a job. Several weeks follow. She says, Pastor, I found an apartment. A couple of months pass, and I see her, and she said, my husband's coming back. He's a special, skilled worker, and they're bringing him back with a residency paper to do a job. She brings her husband into the center to meet me, and the husband sits in my office like this, does not want to be there. But what Irina says transformed my heart and my mind. She says to him, striking him with her elbow into his chest as he jumps up, she said, these are the people, these are the people that loved me when nobody else would love me. And she hits him again and she says, these are the people that took care of our baby when I felt I needed to abandon her and run because I was so overwhelmed. And she hits him again and she said, these people are Christians and so am I. And nothing will ever take that away from me. You see, when we demonstrate God's love, we don't understand how and why or where we become a church called into the world. I find myself like those disciples, obviously filled with those shortcomings and their self-absorption and general cluelessness of what things are to do or how we are to go about doing it. And I find that oftentimes that the church can get caught up in an ideal of perfectionism, that we have to have everything together. But I love in Dana Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly, where he writes, do you know what Jesus does with those who squander his mercy? He pours out more mercy. God is rich in mercy. That's the whole point. Whether we have been sinned against or have sinned ourselves into misery, the Bible says God is not tight-fisted in mercy, but open-handed, not frugal, but lavish, not poor, but rich. And that is why I need to be continually converted to God's mission, that I need to be continually reminded that God is on mission and invites me to clutch at the hem of his garment like the woman with the issue of blood and says, come and follow me. Jesus invites all people, all nations, when he says, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden. Jesus shares meals with people at the fringes of societies, and he says, take, eat, this is my body, broken for you. 
His invitation to the table is for the poor. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And that is why Jesus says, as I have, if you have sent me, I am sending you. We didn't read this, but in verse 23, Jesus says, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Do you feel loved by our triune God? Do you sense that you are called to participate in this mission? Do you feel that the church is called into the world to be that salt and light? You see, we're called to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. For Jesus, he wants our life to reflect his mission, not only to live right, but to love right. That is why the church is called into the world. Let's pray. Father, you give us your word to teach us, to encourage us, to allow us to know you more. May the words we hear, read, and speak today change us from the inside out. Let us not only be hearers of your word, but doers also. We love you and thank you for giving us a message of hope, truth, and life. Let us keep, not keep it to ourselves, but help us to go from this place eager to share your love with others. In your name, amen.